Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. Hope you're staying warm. Today we continue our series of conversations with the candidates with Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott, who is running in the Democratic primary seeking a second term in the city's top job. After graduating from college in 2006, Mr. Scott began his career in City Hall working in the office of Stephanie Rawlings Blake when she served as the city council president. He was first elected to the city council to represent the second district in 2011. In 2018, Jim Shea picked Mr. Scott as his running mate in an unsuccessful bid in the Democratic gubernatorial primary. Mr. Scott served briefly as the city council president in 2019 before being elected mayor in 2020. A lifelong resident of Baltimore, he's a graduate of Mervo High School and St. Mary's College. He is 39 years old and engaged to be married. He and his fiancée are the parents of a baby boy who was born just last month. We will take your calls a little bit later in the program. If you want to drop us an email, that's fine. We'll get that in the queue. Midday at WYPR.org is the address. Mayor Brandon Scott joins me in Studio 8. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Tom, and not on Zoom. Good to be in person. Yeah, it is good to be in person. So how's the baby? Hey, Charm is doing good. He's growing. He's already uh, getting out of the newborn diapers and clothes. So we're now going to be uh, moving into the zero to three months, and we're, we're looking forward. But he, he is the best thing uh, that ever happened to me. Folks told me that I never understood what unconditional love was until I had a kid, and they were absolutely Right. Well, I'm delighted for all of you, and that's certainly been the experience that I've and had. And mom is doing well, too. Good, good, good. Getting any sleep? Uh, no, but I don't sleep anyway, so, <laughs> you know. And, and and be up. I have the late shift tonight, and we're expecting weather uh, early in the morning, so I'll be up anyway. So he and I will be up. Right, so monitor- you guys take shifts. Huh? Yeah, is that shift, how you do shift. This? you got to shift it up. <laughs> Very uh, good. I'll be monitoring. Charm and I will be monitoring the actions of our city workers uh, throughout the night to deal with the in- incoming snowstorm. So when you announced your candidacy for a second term, you said you wanted to finish the job. What does finishing the job entail? Well, Tom, you have to think about, again, where we were when I took office. We were experiencing a a global pandemic when no one knew what the next week was going to look like, let alone the next four years. Uh, Our city was still grappling with over 330 homicides and 700 and something shootings a year. We are, we were still reeling from the impacts of uh, several failed mayoral administrations. We had an unemployment rate of 12 percent. Uh, Baltimore was outdated in its technology and its government. City government was literally broken from the core up, and the pandemic just exacerbated that. And what we've been able to do is start to lay that groundwork on how to make that better, uh, introducing and having Baltimore's first ever comprehensive violence reduction strategy, which we know led to Baltimore having the largest single-year reduction in homicides in the city's history last year. But that's not enough for me. We want to continue to expand that. And we did it, Tom, as you know, while having illegal arrests go down in the city in a comprehensive way, focusing on guns and gun violence through GVRS, providing community violence intervention work, investing in our youth, investing in job training and economic development, growing our city in, in the right way, having our city go from that record high unemployment to having the lowest on record uh, last summer in Baltimore City. That's the eighth fastest growing economy. We want to finish the job of building a better, equitable Baltimore for all of us moving our city forward so that we don't have to go back to the failed policies of the past. You talk about uh, rebuilding city government that was broken from the core. Um, your critics are saying that that's uh, the, the, the main 
criticism they have of you that city government and the delivery of services, the delivery of uh, the basic services uh, to city residents is uh, not what it needs to be. It's not not up to snuff. It's not adequate. It's not effective. Um, you talked about reimagining mm-hmm. city government when you ran the last time, and we talked a lot about that. But how has city government been reimagined, and how do you respond to those folks who say uh, city government doesn't work? You can't get a permit. You can't get the recycling picked up every week. Yeah, I think, and, I, and I'll start there. When you think about recycling, we're doing and have been doing, Tom, the hard work to modernize the solid waste department and all of the EPW uh, by reducing the vacancy rate down to 3.2% for CDL drivers and 8% for solid waste workers when it was in the double digits. But also modernizing, and we talk about reimagining, we talked about this then. Our DPW workers were still using paper maps until I got into office, making sure that they're using GPS. We had to order the vehicles that still haven't gotten here yet uh, that we ordered during the pandemic. We understand the pandemic impact on the supply chain so that we can have the proper vehicles, investing in the staff, making sure that not only that they have the incentives that we raise uh, the salaries for folks and we've had a record uh, record contract with our brothers and sisters at ASME to make sure that we're paying people a decent wage stuff that hadn't been done for decades and it's about not just doing it uh, because it's popular but doing it the right way not the popular way we can make sure that we're now making sure that we're sustaining uh, recycling and all these other city services because we have to be reminded that when I took office there was no recycling right at all. Recycling had been canceled. And when you think about the impacts of the pandemic and everything following on that line of work, we did the work of working with our private contractors to help out. We've been growing uh, the workforce at DPW. We've been doing the tough work. And we are going to be announcing uh, the restart of weekly recycling. It's very, very imminent. And we're going to do it in a way that will be sustainable moving forward so that we don't have to go back to make sure that we're doing it in the optimal way from route optimization to vehicle upgrades to making sure that we're paying paying people a decent wage. We're doing the same thing. As you heard me talk about during the last campaign, that work now is, is, is near, near, nearly complete as well. Let's talk about reimagining not just the permitting system, uh, Tom, but how the city does procurement, stuff that hadn't been done for decades in the city of Baltimore. And we did that work while also governing through one of the toughest times, not just in our, in our city, in our state, in our country, but the world. Let me go back to recycling for a second. Yes. Uh, about a year ago, January of 2023, um, you got a letter from uh, uh, two councilmen, uh, Councilman Cohen and Councilman Schleifer, uh, demanding that you know we have recycling uh, resumed uh, on a weekly basis. And then uh, a DBW issued a report soon thereafter saying one of the things they had to do is uh, maximize the roots. They yep. had to redo the roots. So that was a year ago. I think people are concerned about the time it takes between the promise and the delivery. So here, a year later, more than a year later, we still don't have it. I mean, do you accept the premise uh, of these two council members that weekly recycling is necessary, that it would make the city cleaner, that we would, you know, be in a better situation if we were picking the stuff up every week instead of every two weeks? No, we understand that we need and will have weekly recycling, but this is the difference that you'll get from me and, and many other folks who hold or seek to hold elected office. You're going to get the full truth and not just the emotional response that will make people feel better, Tom. And the reality is, is that that work had to be long term. The reality is, is that it was 2020 when I took office, 2021, essentially, because it's a few weeks before 2021 starts. And in 2021, 
DPW was still using paper maps, not GPS, right? We have to make sure that we're optimizing those routes. Those things take time to do that. But also... Is it done now? Is, the routes, are, about the routes are good. The routes mm -hmm. are good. But the most important thing is that you actually have to have the people first, which DPW, as you know, spent a lot of effort going out, hiring a bunch of people. They're ready, and they're ready to work. But we also need the vehicles. And there is nothing that I, the director of public works, or anyone else can do about vehicles that we ordered years ago that still haven't arrived for the city of Baltimore. And I also will point out that this isn't just a Baltimore city issue. Mayors and cities around the country have been struggling with the same exact thing. And that's what's when we talk about true leadership is communicating that out with people. That's why we've been doing the work of making sure that we have other opportunities for recycling, but we will have it back. We will have it back in a more imminent, very imminently. But I also just will point out that we know that this push now from uh, folks, especially those who are, are, are not supporting me to talk about things like this, it's also driven that the number one thing that they used to talk about, they don't want to talk about violence dropping in the city anymore. They're trying to uh, do a Jedi mind trick people away from things like that. Well, you're right. I mean, the last campaign was really all about mm -hmm. violence reduction. Uh, and then, you know, that trend is starting to go down. But now people are so talking about, uh, you know, just the efficiency, the the efficacy of, of government. I mean, you've got a, a Department of Public Works that can't even produce a calendar the right way. I mean, there's 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 some, some examples of incompetence in some of these agencies, the Department of Homeless Services, uh, perhaps forfeiting as much as 10 or 11 million dollars in federal aid because they didn't get the grant calendar done in the right way. I mean, uh, those are the things that that concern uh, folks who, who, who just, you know, uh, are, are interested in the 30,000-foot in the view of the city, but more interested in what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, and I think that we do have things like that, and we have to always make, make sure that we're correcting that. You and I have talked about this a lot, and you know that uh, I took a lot of criticism for the way we were handling opera because I said we will not have opera end up like we've had with so much other federal money. And we know uh, that the Treasury, the President of the United States, the Vice President, uh, folks have lauded the city of Baltimore for how we are using opera and spending spending that money. And we do know that mistakes are made like that was made in DPW. And there are also the flip side, and we don't hear about that, right? We heard a lot about uh, the water and wastewater system in the city of Baltimore, but now when you have a Patapsico uh, treatment plant put out its lowest affluent numbers in the history of the plant, Tom, meaning that it is putting out and safer for the environment now more than ever, you don't hear that, right? We need those with that same vigor. We need those same elected officials and others talking about all the great work that's happening as well. Are you uh, confident that you're going to be able to hire, you know, really good, competent folks who can take care of these things? I mean, Jason Mitchell uh, had uh, more than a few bumps in the road when he was uh, the head of DPW. He's now uh, a consultant with the city. We're, you know, we're paying him 125 bucks an hour. To be a consultant, we have a, an interim director, Mr. Luna. Um, a lot of folks have resigned for various and sundry reasons and stuff. I mean, is there is there uh, a reason for that that, that 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 puts those resignations at your doorstep? No, I think that what folks have to understand is every single administration from mine to all the past mayor administrations to the president of the United States is going to have people leave. Uh, we know that. Ultimately, Tom, the buck stops with me. 
I'm responsible, and my record is what we're going to be talking about. We also want to be a true leader, wants to have folks who are not just staying in the same job, but they grow, right? And when you think about some of the folks that left, Chris Shorter left, and he's now my equal as a county executive. Uh, Sonny Snitzer, who uh, I went to college and I has her dream job at the Department of Justice, right? Daniel Ramos is essentially a, a city, a, a county manager outside of Houston. We want folks to grow in their profession, but when you have the team that we have with our city administrator, Faith Leach, who I will put up against any other kind of executive. When you look at the people that we have, and we all know Dr. Jaraza helped lead us through of the pandemic as the deputy, as a deputy mayor now overseeing the health and, and equities portions of the of the government. But the buck stopped with me, and the record speaks for itself. Record low, record drop of homicides in the city of Baltimore. Record unemployment. City's economy growing faster than cities all around this nation, in fact, growing faster than the United States of America, no one can argue with those facts, which is why uh, they want to poke hole in anything else, because they don't want to talk about my record. Um, I've spoken to both of your uh, major opponents in this race, both of whom uh, assert that uh, city government is top-heavy, uh, that the deputy mayor system and the city administrator position, which is something you had you know, fought for uh, as, as the president of the city council, uh, is duplicative uh, and uh, city hall is top heavy. How do you respond? Well, I would just say, well, one of them tried to be one of those positions. So you can't say that it's top heavy and you want the job at the same time. Uh, this is the point of the campaign where people just say what, whatever they want to it's say. Sheila Dixon, who, who did uh, reveal, I think, for the first time that she had actually applied for the job. Well, no, never really applied for the job. She, other folks asked, and I asked, I said to, I think I said to you or someone else on air before, uh, I asked her to take another role, which she did not, did not take. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. But when you think about this is the truth, Tom, it's not a top heavy, right? It's also uh, folks don't understand the system. There are only two deputy mayors, right? And it's similar, exactly similar to what it was before, except for there's a city administrator uh, who has a deputy city administrator and there's uh, uh, deputy mayors who report into the city administrator. It's a, it's a function of government that exists in cities around the country. Actually, our structure is almost identical uh, to that in Washington, D.C. Is it efficient? Is it, it getting is, it done? It's very, it's very efficient. Because with the agencies, all the different agencies? Agencies report up the same way that they used to the deputy mayors and through the city administrator. None of that change. And, it's and you're confident that they're being held accountable Absolutely. Enough? We know they're being held accountable enough. We, I know that Deputy Mayor Barksdale and I are holding BPD accountable He's the deputy mayor of for public, public safety. safety. We, know, we know they're being held accountable and they're moving in the right way because we reduced violence in the city last year while illegal arrests were going down. We know that Wrecking Parks is being held accountable and making sure that they're providing more opportunities because we have more shovels in the ground. We've opened, reopened, and built more rec centers and renovated rec centers that people uh, in this race and otherwise closed down. We know that folks are being held accountable. We know that they're using data in the right way uh, because we can see uh, what's happening and we can see the city being lauded for the things that we that we have. Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott is running in the May 14th Democratic primary for election to a second term. We'll take your calls and emails when we come back after a quick break. 410-662-8780. That's our number here at Midday. Our email midday at WIPR.org. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us.
This is your public radio, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow, it's the Midday News Wrap. We'll talk about the purchase of the Baltimore Sun by the conservative executive chairman of the Sinclair Broadcast Group, David Smith. What will that mean for the state's largest daily newspaper and for the local media landscape? Plus, Jaywin Russick will review the Book of Grace at the Strand Theater. So that's on the way tomorrow. And if you've just joined us today, my guest is the mayor of Baltimore, Brandon Scott. Since his election in 2020, he has appeared on our show nearly once a month for a segment we call Midday with the Mayor. And today he is here with me in Studio A in his capacity as a candidate for a second term as our city's leader. His opponents in the Democratic primary include former Mayor Sheila Dixon and business entrepreneur Bob Wallace. I have spoken with Ms. Dixon and Mr. Wallace in our Conversations with the Candidates series. On Monday, I'll speak with Delegate Terry Hill, who's running for Congress in the 3rd District. And on Wednesday, my guest will be Representative David Trone, who is running for the U.S. Senate. All of my conversations with the candidates are collected on the WYPR website, so you can check them out on demand. And you are welcome to join our conversation today with Mayor Scott, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Aman is on the line from Locust Point. Welcome to Midday with Mayor Scott. Hi, Mr. Mayor. Hi, Tom. It's great to hear from you both. Um, my question for the mayor is, what have you done over the past few years to make City Hall more accessible, accountable, and transparent for citizens in the city um, uh, over the past few years? No, thank you for that, Ma. We, we've done a lot about, about that, even from uh, the way that we make sure that we're using interpreters and making sure that everybody has access to that. When you, when you think about uh, the way that we've been doing our town halls, from we've been doing them on the phone, obviously on Zoom, uh, opening opening up city government. As you know, we've been doing a lot around data and the sharing of data. In fact, uh, when uh, Bloomberg brings all the mayors from around the country now to talk about data, uh, they host it here in Baltimore because we've been doing a great job of putting out that kind of information so that everyone can see what's happening. When you think about, you can look and see what's happening with city contracts now on the Open Data website. We are going to continue to do all of those things out in the open uh, in addition to the things that we have to do with our consent decree and publishing all of the things that we're doing uh, to make sure that we're reforming the police department. We want everybody in the city to know what's happening with city government, but also uh, to be informed because as I always said and said on Tom's show many times, a more informed citizenry is a better one. Um, let's talk about transparency in terms of uh, a couple of issues that came up where you uh, were at loggerheads with members of the city council. Uh, one had to do with the BGE conduit deal. Uh, there are, uh, you had a letter from eight members of the city council, that's a majority, saying, you know, we're concerned about this deal. We don't think it's a good idea. They, did, they complained about transparency. They complained that it did not uh, have uh, adequate vetting and adequate uh, community input, and they complained that they don't think it's a good deal. Um, the other was uh, the redistricting of the council districts. Uh, uh, council President Mosby wrote you a letter after that happened saying that uh, the, the council's plan took into consideration what the community had said. Uh, his letter says specifically that uh, it, his, their plan uh, passes all the tests of uh, contiguity, uh, compactness, natural boundaries, boundaries, existing social lines, precinct splits, landmark area splits, et cetera, and yours does not. So the council, and again, that's signed by 
uh, eight people on the, on the council. So when it comes to transparency, when it comes to community input, um, how do you respond to the folks on the council who are saying, no, you're not, that, that's not happening? Well, I listen, the first thing I'll say is any council member and knows this, and, and people know this about me in general, Tom, uh, that anyone that has an issue with me or anything I'm doing, especially an elected official, they have my phone number, they can pick up the phone and call me. Uh, and they know that. And people, residents throughout the city know that. I get in trouble from my staff for giving so many people my direct cell phone number because I want to be different. Gone are the days where only a certain group of people has that kind of access to the mayor. And I want my residents to have that access to the mayor as well. But to these issues that you're talking about specifically, I just uh, I disagree with my partner, the council president, about about the map. Uh, we went through the tough work of making sure that we are aligning the map in the right way, that the population uh, matches in the districts, that we're reconnecting communities, that we're making sure that every single council district has has a anchor in it so that we're not starving certain districts like has happened in ninth in the ninth district for so long and that our map will meet the test and will be be the map that goes into place because it meets that test and we just disagree on that issue uh, and on the bge issue but did you have enough community input to get we your did. map together we, I mean, we, you, you had some we had computer models that we, could do we, it but all of that we took everything in and then there was a process uh, uh through the council through the council as well and we'll continue continue to do those things and with the, the bge conduit deal i'll say what i said earlier uh, my job is not to do uh, what's the popular thing, is to do the right thing, Tom. And I think it's very important that when when time tells the story, we'll look back and look and see that I did the right thing. Because I didn't sell uh, the conduit the way that folks were saying it would. We had folks who said this was going to hurt minority contractors only to have those same contractors show up at the Board of Estimates and say, no, we, we believe this is a good thing to do. And this was done in the light because, as you know, uh, that's the system that we have for dealing with contracting is at the Board of Estimates. Uh, it's open to the public. There was no hiding this because we had to talk about it in the public forum, in the public eye, not just once, but for multiple times. And, and for my time, the discussion around uh, this deal on the, on the conduit was the longest discussed item at the BOE ever. And we're going to continue to operate with the utmost transparency because my job is to do uh, for those coming behind me what was not done for me. And that's to think about the future of the city so that I am not uh, uh, writing checks to have Spalding on it that's going to bounce on the mayor 15, 20 years from now. That I'm making sure that we're making looking at the city not just for today or for my four-year term as many of my predecessors did, but for the long term. And by the way, when it comes to the conduit deal yesterday, I had a conversation about this briefly with uh, Mr. Wallace, who's one of your opponents in the Democratic primary for mayor, and I uh, owe my listeners a correction. I said that there was not a referendum, a vote from uh, people about it. There was, in fact, a, a referendum. It was called Question E, and they did vote overwhelmingly to make sure that it wasn't sold. So, yes, sir. You know, that and was we the didn't thing. do that. And, and you're, you're saying you didn't do that, so I want to make sure that uh, and Tom, I just want to correct Wallace something. Wallace was right, and I was wrong yesterday. I I, I forgot. I, I mentioned earlier that there, there's three deputy mayors. I just want to make sure I make sure that that's not right. Right. All right. Great. You have public safety. You have uh, uh, housing, economic development, and, and then you have uh, uh, equity and, and human services. Yeah. Um, let's go to the phones to uh, Gregory, who's on the line uh, with Mayor Scott. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Gregory calling in from Harwood. I love the radio station, long-time listener. Um, I had a quick question for the mayor. Uh, I saw a ton of uh, news lately about David Smith, um, the owner of Fox News, and how he's supporting Sheila Dixon. I'm wondering your thoughts about her bringing in right-wing influence 
into Baltimore City. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that question. Uh, what I'll say about this is this. Uh, this is not about Brandon Scott. Uh, this has never been about me. Uh, what everyone in Baltimore and really everyone in Maryland and the country should be very wary of is anybody thinking that a small group of people should sit in the room and decide who runs the government and what those people should say and what the issues that they believe in are. That is dangerous to the fabric of American society. And to have uh, those folks uh, blatantly doing that here in Baltimore, uh, to have uh, a gentleman who said to uh, former President Trump that I am here to carry your message, uh, have the influence and in seemingly trying to buy more influence into local government uh, is very, very dangerous. And what we should be asking ourselves is, what did folks who they're supporting say they would do in order to have their support? Because this is not about me. This is about a city that I love, that gave my family opportunity uh, coming out of the, the rural South uh, that I want to see uh, improve each and every day to be better for everyone, especially people that come from the places where I like I come from in this town versus folks who seemingly want to push all those people out and replace them. Uh, that's what we should be worried about, and no one should have that much influence. Let me ask you a broader question about Ms. Dixon, because in a lot of ways I think this election may come down to uh, the fact that uh, Ms. Dixon did leave uh, office after being convicted of a misdemeanor. It was a, a part of a plea agreement that she made uh, in a perjury charge that had yet to be tried. Um, and a lot of folks are going to just need to make a, a call. They're going to say, uh, and there is a narrative out there that when Sheila Dixon was the mayor for those three years in 2007 to 2010, the city, you know, the trains ran on time. She's a good manager of city agencies. And they are going to have to decide whether or not her past transgressions are disqualifying. To you, is the fact that Sheila Dixon left office uh, under the circumstances that she left 13 years ago. Is that disqualifying to be the mayor? Well, it's not up for me me to say. That's up for the voters to say. But what I will say uh, to the residents of Baltimore is do it, doing the things the right way matters, and it should matter. And the message that we, as uh, Congressman Cummins <clears throat> would say today, uh, happy birthday, Congressman, he would say today, uh, what messages are we sending to our children? Our children are the message that we're sending to a future that we'll never see. And I'm a message that he sent in the future that doing things the right way matters, uh, that we have to have the utmost integrity, that we can uh, accomplish the things that we accomplished in a different world. This isn't the same world that it was back then. And, and what we need to be thinking about, Tom, is what message are we sending uh, to, our, to our young people, to our communities, to all these young men and women who we say, we want you to go out and be the best that you can be and make Baltimore better and do it the right way. If when we have one that grows up, that does that, that reduces homicides in Baltimore City, that gets unemployment to its lowest rate, that has the economy growing at the eighth fastest in the country, that no, we don't want you because simply because you're young and you're black. What is your key? How, how would you describe your approach to management? What does it mean to be an effective manager. There are two things I think people are looking for in a mayor. Uh, one is uh, the uh, capacity to run the city, to, right. to, to make the trains run on time. Uh, the other is a vision 
for the future of the city. But when it comes to the management side, how would you describe, you know, what you think effective management for a city government means? Well, when you're when you're a mayor and you're a manager, first and foremost, Tom, you have to have a deep understanding of everything involved in city government and also uh, what comes from outside into city government. But you also have to uh, put the best people in place. <clears throat> you cannot micromanage city government. Uh, you cannot be, uh, the mayor should not be in every single solitary detail. The mayor shouldn't be out there uh, saying that, listen, we this person had to pick up, needs to pick up this piece of trash at this time and this way. That is not the role of an executive. The mayor has to set that vision, has to hold people accountable, has to use data to inform how we're going to improve that, has to also be the chief uh, champion of the city, has to have those relationships with those workers and as people so they actually work from them and allow them to build the better Baltimore together. That's what you have to do. You can't micromanage your way out of the issues that the city has and we've been doing a great job and I've been doing a great job of making sure that we do that in, in Baltimore. Um, one of the things that David Smith uh, did uh, the last election cycle was uh, put in hundreds of thousands of dollars to support ballot initiatives, ballot referendums, one of which uh, imposed term limits. Another that they tried to get through was a, a recall provision that did not uh, pass. They are trying another one this time. They're, they're collecting signatures as we speak uh, to have a referendum about reducing the size of the city council from 14 members to eight, I think. Um, when it comes to term limits, when we had this discussion and when it was uh, everybody's you know, top of mind issue, you said that you would agree to, to two terms as a term limited uh, for your own, for, for yourself. Uh, do you still feel that way? I do. Uh, it's one more term. And I think, that, uh, I think that it's important to know, again, about that influence, right? People from outside shouldn't be fabricating media. As you know, Tom, I was getting asked about whether I should be recalled a week after I got put into office, right? That is how folks fabricate these kind of things. That's also how they fabricate uh, these stories about uh, uh, my opponent's past. Effective managers don't close fire stations to balance budgets. Effective managers don't close rec centers and balance their budgets on the back of our young people. Uh, that's how they were managing city government. And at the same time, we all know that the start of the violent crime impact session or the gun trace task force and what uh, Sergeant Wayne Jenkins and folks were doing started then. That's not effective management to allow uh, the worst police scandal in the history of this country to start to brew under your watch while you're closing rec centers, while you're closing fire stations in the city. Uh, let's go back to the phones to Quentin, who's on the line from Canton. I guess you have a question about transportation issues. Uh, uh, Mr. Mayor, I wish you the best. My question has to do with uh, driving lanes and the separation of those lanes. Faint lines uh, separating driving lanes can be a hazard, particularly at night, and there are a lot of those in Baltimore City. Can something be done about that place? Yes, absolutely. And I think, Sarah, thank you. This is actually good timing uh, for you bringing this up. I was in Annapolis alongside my counterpart in Baltimore County, Johnny Oseski Jr., and, and others from around the state of Maryland, again, 
all of us fighting uh, pending cuts to highway user revenue and all of these things. And so that folks know that's how the city and the counties actually go and do this, do that work. For us, we're a little different. State Highway doesn't do it for us. We have to do it ourselves. We do that. And this funding we have lost in the city of Baltimore following the Great Recession until now, $900 million, Tom, of HUR funds that would have went into road resurfacing. All of the things that the gentleman is talking about, we're doing a lot What's of- What's the source of that $900 million? Highway user revenue. That's mm-hmm. what that's what we've lost in the city, coming from the state to the city, which is how our roads and transportation are done uh, in, in the state of Maryland. Because, you know, the governor's had to propose, you know, Even massive cuts, cuts three yes, point, which uh, we are- Upwards of $3 billion. He, he just yesterday said- he was going to restore about 150 for, million. Yeah, they have that. a one a one year fix that we're very grateful for, but we need the outlying years as well. We cannot afford to continue to have this go uh, for issues like this. Uh, what that means for us, if these cuts stand, that means 190 lane miles, Tom's in the city that won't be repaved. Uh, we have to with just the one year that drops to 170 lane miles. But there are streets, there are streets like projects that we've been waiting on, like Bel Air Road and Ricestown Road and all these other roads and streets that we we are waiting and and are planning to do but we cannot do it without the funding because that 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 state and that local money is how we pull down on the federal money and now is the time for us to do that with president biden's infrastructure law before we go to a break let me go back to the thirty thousand foot yes. view um one of the things you campaigned on the last time uh in addition to reimagining city government and reducing violence is unifying the city bringing the city together you talked about a new generation a generational change in leadership of the city can you give examples of how you have done that how do how do you assess the racial climate in the city how do you assess uh people's uh you know we we live in a uh, nationally politically bifurcated universe. Uh, what about the city of Baltimore and what, what have you done to, to bring people together in the way you talked about a few years ago? I'll give you the best example. Uh, there was a issue driven by poverty in the city of Baltimore that is older than me, known as the squeegees, Tom, that every mayor in my lifetime, from William Sharnel, Dave, Donald Schaefer, down to me, was tasked with solving and dealing with, and no one could do it. Uh, And what did I do? I did the tough work. I reached out and called everybody in together, creating this squeegee collaborative, where I brought in the business community, who we know were the most, the the loudest about the issue, where I brought in uh, philanthropic, law enforcement, legal, the people, young people that squeegee themselves and former squeegee folks in, right? Everybody in together and said, okay, we've had this issue for 40-something, 50 years. We have to work together to solve it because that's the only way it's going to get solved. Everyone's going to have to be uncomfortable. You're going to hear things that you don't like and don't want to hear. But what I'm tasking all of you with doing is coming back to me with a plan of how we can reduce it. And what do we do? We came back with the squeegee collaborative plan. You've seen the calls go down 80-something percent. Young people are getting jobs. Uh, That's how these young people are getting paid. They're working, and we're very thankful to partners like under armor but the and city care is first. also subsidizing some of them. We're, 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 not, we're giving financial incentives to some of the kids to not squeegee. Well, hold, not? no, 
let, let me be very clear. We have programs uh, and we are partnering with organizations and anybody that's attacking uh, uh, that, they're not attacking me. They're attacking our partners. They're attacking folks like Care First and Under Armour and others who are helping us to get these young people employed. And that is a, and doing it this way is very sustainable when you think about and also at T. Rowe Price, right? Business owners who were the most impacted and the loudest about this are the ones that are lauding at success because if we can afford, Tom, in the city to just, uh, as we did for decades, to just go out and spend millions of dollars that anytime anyone saw a young black person, they didn't want to arrest them, we can work with our business partners and others to create programs to keep them employed. Baltimore mayor and mayoral candidate Brandon Scott is my guest. He's uh, one of eight Democrats, actually one of nine Democrats. Eight others have registered to be on the May 14th Democratic primary ballot for mayor. We'll have more with Mayor Brandon Scott when this edition of Conversations with the Candidates continues after a quick break. You can join us at 410-662-8780 or email us midday at WIPR.org. I'm Tom Hall. We'll be right back. This is your public radio, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Yesterday, candidates for public office released their campaign finance reports in the race for mayor here in Baltimore. Mayor Brandon Scott reported that he raised more than $682,000 last year and that he has $830,000 cash on hand. Former Mayor Sheila Dixon reported raising more than 523000 She has about 370000 cash on hand, and a super PAC, which supports her, has another 200000 Bob Wallace reported self-funding his campaign with more than $200,000. If you've just joined us today, it's another installment in our series of Conversations with the Candidates. My guest is Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott. He is seeking a second term in the city's highest office. He is one of eight announced candidates in the May 14th Democratic primary for mayor. You can join our conversation at 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at WIPR.org. Um, what can the city do better? What have you learned in the four years? You've been around City Hall a long time, but seventeen years. Yeah, but you've been the, been the mayor for for almost four. So, what what can you do better? What will improve if you're elected again? Well, we can do everything better, Tom. I think you know me very well. You know I'm an athlete, so I always want to be better. Even if I win the championship, I want to win it again the next year. And I think uh, we're going to start with the basics, right? We can do all of our basic services uh, better in the city of Baltimore. We can continue to drive down violence in the city of Baltimore. We want to be better than we were last year because that amount of folks that we have, 260-something people are still far too many killed in the city of Baltimore. We can do better at creating more economic opportunities so that we're not the eighth fastest growing economy. We can be the first, uh, the, the fastest growing economy in the country. We can do better by our young people. We continue to invest in them. I'm happy to have all the rec center projects and the school projects that we have going in the city of Baltimore, but we can do a better job at every single thing that we do and that's my direction what have you learned what what are you oh, going to personally learned, get better at i i'm personally going to get better at, at a few things one uh i have to get better at uh, uh making sure that 
I am relinquishing more and trusting other folks, right? I have to do that. I do that very well on like something. Like in micromanaging, you mean? No, not micromanaging. There are some things that I feel like sometimes I they're so personal to me that like I have to personally be the person to do it, and I have to uplift uh, and allow more of my folks to get involved in that. I think that everyone has that that thing that those things that are your baby that you just don't want to let go, right? I've done a great job of that because I have uh, folks that I trust, like uh, CAO Leach and and Deputy Mayor Barksdale and others, and we're going to continue to grow that. But also, I'm going to continue to grow personally about learning, learning about leadership, learning about partnership, building and growing more partners, and even uh, uh, continuing to grow in the way, uh, Tom, that I think I've grown significantly in the years. And that's partnering with people that even I that, that I know uh, didn't start off as supporters of me. And I've done a great job of that over the years, and I want to continue to grow on that, too. Let's go to Ellen, who's on the line in Baltimore. Welcome to the show with Mayor Scott. Mayor Scott, my husband and I have lived in Baltimore City for decades, and you are the most responsive and accessible mayor that we have ever had. So thank you, dear sir, and thank you for the support. And, and what is your question for the mayor? Um my question is, I'm concerned about the mental health of youth in Baltimore City and their families, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are about providing more supports, not only in the schools, but throughout our communities. And thank you for your wonderful right. work. Thanks for the call, Ellen. And let's talk uh, even more broadly about the school system and the mm-hmm. education. I mean, we've got the blueprint, uh, which is going to put a big financial strain uh, on the city. Uh, your support of uh, Dr. Santalisis as the school superintendent has been, you know, pretty uh, pretty acute over the, over the years. Your opponents uh, are, are less supportive. Supportive. They're less vocal, at least, in their, their support. Uh, how do you see her future if you're elected again? How do you see the, the future of the school system, given the financial crunch that that's putting the city under? Well, let me say this. It's not a strain on the city. As I said, and you can pull the tape, right? Uh, as council president in 2019, I said to then, before I took office, to uh, the, the budget director, uh, who's now the associate, uh, the deputy finance director in every city agency, that everyone has to prepare because we are going to do the blueprint because not only do we have to do it, it's the right thing to do. And I've been proud to put more money into the public school system in Baltimore than any mayor in the history of the city because I can only imagine, Tom, not for me, but how many more of my friends would be alive, would be successful if they had fully invested in public schools when I was growing up. And we're going to continue to work with our partners at the school system. Uh, I am so, I, every time I go to one of these uh, groundbreakings of a, and, and ribbon cutting of a new school, I always just imagine like these young people are going to have an education that I never could dream of. Then I have to worry about going home early. Yeah, you know, but money's one thing, but no, but success but, is another. And, but and COVID cannot, was a real you oh, know, the kick in the gut. Yes, really for everybody. Kick in the gut. But I think that when you think about that, Tom, think about this. The school system in Baltimore outgained the state. All everybody in the yeah, state. The most right? recent report, the most says, recent report some, some, says it's going in the right way. But we still have to got, you know, we have a long a lot of kids way to go. Who, you know, are not right. reading at level, and they're not, they're not. And this is, and this is where it comes in, where it comes in about not just 
the women and men that work at the school system. We have to continue to make sure that they have the resources, the teachers that they need. They have a curriculum, Tom, that, that meets the necessary needs of today's society, especially when they get to middle and high school and CTE, allowing them to learn things that they can work in the world immediately if they, if they want to. But we also have to grow the support that goes around those families. And that's when you look at the work of the mayor's office, children, youth, and families, when we look at how we can have people mentoring every single person in the city of Baltimore should be mentoring a young person, even if that young person has their parents in their life, to make sure that we're lifting up these things. We have to get back to the basics also as a community, supporting these young people, which is also why we have to do things like the legislation that we did a few years ago in Annapolis around youth data sharing and that we're doing again so that we can share the data with all the people that are working with these young people to make sure that we're growing them and growing their families. And we know that mental and behavioral health supports are are a good a part of that, which is why that's a part of our comprehensive violence production, reduction strategy. And also, uh, uh, we're doing that great work, and even the city has been lauded receiving an innovation award from the Maryland Association of Counties for our 911 diversion program. Yeah, and, and one of the, the, the issues with the school system is that the population of students is dwindling because yes. the population of the city is dwindling. I mean, we're 70,000 fewer people than uh, when Sheila Dixon was the mayor, you know, 13 years ago. Um, People uh, move to the city or move out of the city for three reasons generally, crime, schools, and taxes, mm -hmm. right? So when it comes to, we've just talked about schools a little bit. We've talked about crime and the, the way that's headed. Uh, we're also uh, looking at some reports that say the city could uh, enter a $100 million deficit. You announced a plan for vacant housing uh, that is a multi-hundred million dollar uh, commitment by the city. How, how do you make all this stuff uh, work? Well, you, you have to you balance your budget and have your priorities. We've had, I've been around in, in City Hall, as you said, for a long time. We've had budgets, deficits larger than $100 million. And what we did back then and what we started to do on the work now, working with our partners, not just in city government, bringing in private, bringing in our state partners, is we have to have another 10-year fiscal plan for the city. This will be the second in history, the first done in 2013 by uh, Mayor Rollins Blake, and this will be the second, to make sure that we're looking at how the city uh, collects this funds, how we do revenue, how we do everything has to be put into a comprehensive plan. This is not something that you can just wake up one day and say we're going to cut property taxes in the city and all of these things that were bankrupt the city, Tom. I just want to be very clear about that. If this thing passes, because there is a, a, is a another effort to have a right? ballot another, initiative, another ballot initiative called Renew Baltimore. Renew Baltimore that uh, uh, really is going to decimate. As you heard from our partners at Build, it's not about renewing Baltimore; it's about renewing Baltimore for some. But when you look at the plans that we have, like this va this vacant strategy, which is proving and scaling a strategy that works, because I'm also proud that we have been able to reduce vacant properties in Baltimore to its lowest point in 20 years under my leadership. But now in partnership with Bill and GBC and the community, we can, over the next 15 years, eliminate that problem. And this is not about... A, a One of the proposals, for example, is to uh, allocate 1% of the yep. state sales, state sales tax, tax to the city of Baltimore. Have you spoken to Governor Moore yes. about this? Oh, we've spoken to him at length about it and can continue Is that going to happen in this session? We, we, we know we're going to work hard to, so that your listeners understand this. Baltimore, Tom, is one of... A few cities, 89% of cities in the country, right, of 200,000 or higher population, receive part of their local state local sales tax to keep for themselves. 
Baltimore does not. Uh, Ocean City is the only jurisdiction in Maryland that's allowed to. But is to, the Maryland legislature, including people from Garrett, Garrett County, St. Mary? They yeah, have yeah. to understand. This is what we have to understand, that Baltimore is the economic driver for the country, for the state of Maryland, right? And when you think about it like this, every investment that they put here into Baltimore is an investment for everybody. When you think about our, our hospitals, we house all the sick. During COVID, people were coming to Baltimore in droves. 2% of the sales tax here in Baltimore, this is what we would do. 1% of, of Baltimore's local sales tax share immediately today, Tom, would get every single homeowner in Baltimore $1,000 off their property taxes, making us at competitive level with our surrounding jurisdictions. The other 1% we would use to pull down another billion dollars to work towards eliminating vacancy in Baltimore. And we're very thankful to Governor Moore and his team for their first portion of that vacancy program, which is baked inside the governor's budget, including $50 million for Project Core. That's where we're going to have to leave it. We are out of time. Mayor Brandon Scott is running for a second term as mayor of Baltimore City. Thank you for your time. We'll see you out on the campaign trail. Thank you. I'm running back to the White House now. <laughs> the White House, huh? <laughs> is that where your new office is? Is that oh, the deal? No, no, sir. I never went <laughs> that office. I'm good. Thank you. The Democratic and Republican primaries are on May 14th. Early, early voting begins on May 2nd. If you're eligible but not yet registered to vote, please get registered. You can register by mail or online up until April 23rd. You can register in person at Board of Elections offices or at polling places up to and including the day of the primary on May 14th. Our series of conversations with the candidates will continue next week. On Monday, I'll speak with Delegate Terry Hill. She's running for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District. And on Wednesday, my guest will be Representative David Trone, who's running to succeed Ben Cardin in the United States Senate. And coming up tomorrow, I hope you'll join me for the Midday News Wrap. We'll talk about the sale of the Baltimore Sun to David Smith, the executive chairman of Sinclair Broadcast Group, which owns Fox 45 and other TV stations around the country. Plus, Jay Wynn Russick will have a few to review of a new show at the Strand Theater. That's it for us today. Here and Now is coming up at the top of the hour after an NPR news break. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. This is your public radio 881 WYPR.